You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Native Lamb Pod is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with Reason Choice Media. Welcome home, everybody. This is your favorite politics and culture podcast, Native Land Pod, coming at you with episode four. We are your hosts, Angela Rye, Tiffany Cross, and Andrew Gillum. And as you know, we keep it real because what else can you keep? What's up, everybody? What's up, you guys? What's good? What's good? Hi, Angela. What's up, everybody? Hi, Tiff. As usual, I want to give a quick shout out. To the gathering spot, broadcasting live from the gathering spot. So thank thanks to you guys for partnering with Love Native Land Pod and Love being a, a true Andrew river for and the Tiff. I miss you guys. It's been too yeah. long. I'm gonna see you in person next week. I'm excited about that. I was gonna say let's get together Maybe in person this time. Next time. In I think we we flow better when we in the same room. We, we can, can high five. We can breathe the same oxygen, so, yeah, share like the same it. energy, send Reiki. <laughs> When necessary. I can send you Reiki from here. On. Put hands on it. Okay. And lay when on required. Hand. But here's what we need the people to do in the meantime until we get back together. And that is we want you all to please make sure you are subscribing to Native Land Pod. You are downloading every single episode and you're reviewing the show. Every we can take a hater remark here and there, but we mostly want to keep the love. Okay, everybody. So I got to say it's crazy how much has happened since we last got together. Joe Biden said he's ready to shut down the border. All the while, the House Committee on Homeland Security is teeing up an impeachment of the DHS Secretary Mayorkas. Cities are reeling with the response to migrants and residents are feeling the pinch of being left behind. Donald Trump has designated Tim Sick and Tired Scott as the head of white outreach. Oh, my bad. My bad. It's it's supposed to be black outreach, but it probably should have been white. Uh, Either way, he's thinking there's a play for the black male vote on today. Those are my bars, Tiff. You're not the only one. But we think this is not exactly the case meg the stallion hissed at nikki and sent her into a spiral of online bullying for 72 hours and counting is that how we honor in hip-hop 50 i don't know you've been following this for 72 hours i mean the people have said speaking of hip-hop 50 k solo said your mom's in my business she's in my business i wonder 
what he would say about the NSA being in the business. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, too. And it wouldn't be home without our listeners and viewers. So we are doing Q&A throughout this episode to create even more of a conversation. And we even have some inspiration from a faithful listener that's a surprise. So make sure you stay tuned. Also today, my governor... And my co-host, my brother, Andrew Gillum, is sharing his very courageous story. You do not want to miss this. Y'all, this is episode four, Welcome Home. Okay, so from Kamala Harris's viral moment, do not come, to the Biden administration's initial proposal that was to restore humanity and American values to our immigration system, Joe's taking a hard turn to the right. Joe Biden is now saying this. That bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Okay. So, um, as you all know, there is a lot going on with um, our community in particularly, excuse me, in particular with immigration. I think we're real divided. We got a lot of pushback even from the audience of Native Land Pod last week. We were joking about yeah. New Hampshire. Like, what New Hampshire got to do with border yeah. security? But folks are like, actually, a whole lot. There are, there are differing opinions here. And apparently, y'all, we're not necessarily in lockstep with the culture. So I would like to um, have y'all weigh in here. And I'm definitely not in lockstep with what yeah. Biden is talking about. And I'm even more definitely not in lockstep with what Donald Trump has said about the border. So weigh in, y'all. What you got? Yeah, I I got to tell you, Angela, I was really disappointed with a lot of the comments. Um, they were very anti-immigrant. And I just want to kick off, us off in this having this conversation by saying, listen, this country has not been kind to any community of color and weaponizing communities of color against each mm. other. That is the devil's work. And I just don't want us to do that. Um, I think there are legitimate questions around the strain that immigration places on us from a federal policy, especially to a state and local government. I actually I don't Fair. think we were really joking around New Hampshire because it was a legitimate question. What is the huge immigration policy that that would be number two that most New Hampshire states were voting on, particularly when that state is nearly 94% white. Um, so I think those were legitimate questions. I think the consistent comment in a lot of um, from a lot of our viewers was this notion that uh, immigration takes away resources from black communities. And I just want to say that is not true. Undocumented immigrants pay uh, more than $11 billion in taxes every year. Undocumented immigrants are uh, not really eligible for a lot of federal benefits. Um, and the some of the labor shortages that we see in our community would have happened anyway. That is not, you have to consider things like automation and the way the economy is going. That is not undocumented immigrants taking away from you. I understand that I'm speaking um, as someone who hasn't worked on this policy, but Andrew, you, yeah. I mean, you're, you were a mayor, you were running to run a state. I'm really curious for you because you look at mayors like Eric yeah. Adams yeah. and what's happening in New York, what's happening in Chicago with these, you know, immigrants getting dropped off. What yeah. is, I, I don't want us to lose the humanity in all of this, but what is like common sense immigration solutions? And do these folks have a point for being so upset about it? You set it up well, Angela and, and, it is a real broad conversation, but I want to go back to the premise, which was Biden's talking point of I'm going to close the border. The American borders have always been closed. Let's reject the Republican talking points. There has always been a process for legal entry and asylum entry and a whole bunch of other designations we are not going to go through on this show. But there have always been processes in place by which people legally enter this country. That's number one. 
Don't accept the Republican talking point and frame on this. Frame this thing to what it is in real life. To people who are, you know, saying I agree with Trump and, and the Republicans, these folks are taking jobs. I am not going to tell you to uh, betray your very beautiful 2020 vision seeing eyes uh, because I know from experience in my own community and I heard about it on the trail. And otherwise, jobs that one time I could drive past and see black folk doing. I've experienced this largely in the blue collar sector where it's most vis visible when you're driving past and there are construction workers on the street and there are folks who are doing the traffic, you know, the, the road repairs, all that kind of stuff. It, there used to be a lot more black men uh, uh, when I was growing up and where I live. And folks have noticed that the faces have shifted, have changed in that. Y'all, this is no different than what folks up in the Northeast during the steel boom and, and, and industrial. The, the Irish folks was coming in to 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 replace the good white man. If you were in Detroit, Michigan, working for Henry Ford and he bought in Middle Easterners, which is why it's the largest concentration of Middle Easterners in the world outside of the Middle East is in Detroit. He bought them because he didn't want to shut the factories down during the summer. It was mulling hot and he, he didn't want to have to take the workers off the line. He wanted to continue to uh, to produce. So what did he do? He got planes and boats. Well, not planes, but ships and bought over Middle Easterners who now are still huge constituency parts of Detroit and Michigan and all around. Um, our Congresswoman uh, Rashida Tlaib could tell us about that. But 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 again, there was some replacement that was happening for a corporate economic need. In my state of Florida, we have uh, a, a lot of immigrants who do a lot of the farming, right. uh, uh, grapefruits and and oranges and so on and so forth. And, and those are tend to be around the people. But if an employer a company is prepared and willing and able to give away uh, the work to workers who are willing to do it at either half the cost or off the books or for a cash trade rather than a whatever, then there's always going to be a market for people who are going to do it less. And I think if we were serious about real immigration reform, we would put the emphasis on a national comprehensive solution that is led by cracking down on the economic powers of this country who are manipulating, using, uh, benefiting from uh, the hard labor of folks, but they're not being paid with their worth and they're making the trade off, but displacing a whole different set of people. Absolutely. But to your point, Tiffany, at the local level, these folks pay taxes that they don't get tax uh, um, uh, refunds for. And my state where we don't have a, a, a property, we, we have a property tax, but we don't have a state income tax. The large percentage of taxes are collected through sales. So if you go and buy milk and eggs and groceries and you're paying you know, the tax at the gas station, you're contributing to Florida's tax base in a regressive way, I might add. But you're paying into the system and you're not taking from it. I, I, I know you're never going to believe that these folks are not here and replacing you. But the truth is they're here making contributions and are not getting the resources that they, they, they would otherwise receive. And we end up at the local level paying the huge lion's share of burden of cost here because the federal government isn't willing to do anything, solve the problem yeah. by fixing the rules. Well, I'm you're saying, but you're saying that we pay the the burden of cost. Um, and, and I think that's what a lot of the people who are leaving these comments were suggesting, that it is a strain on our resources. The immigrants are and, and they're paying more. Right. And by the exactly. way, these folks aren't wrong that that they're seeing the bill because yeah. they see their taxes go up and, and they make that contribution. Well, y'all, 
you're paying, we're paying at the local level to solve an immigration issue more than Donald Trump paid in the entirety before becoming president of the United States or since in taxes. Working folks have paid more than the wealthy class in taking care of this problem. They give us lip service, but don't give us no green you to help us uh, 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 through the issue. Tiff re- referenced the comments. I do want to get into the comments because this is a safe place for our audience, our listeners. So this is from Dina in New York, um, where we know there's also a migrant crisis that they're actively trying to solve. Dina says, how do we own the conversation surrounding the southern border? Black people in my community feel like Trump would handle the alleged crisis better than Biden. Also, I'm extremely concerned that Biden will sign a bad deal to appease a voting bloc that will not vote for him anyway. I believe immigration reform is desperately needed, but this hardline position held by right wing Republicans will put us right back where we were prior to the civil rights movement, only allowing Caucasians into this country. I would love to hear your views on this. I love this question from Dina. I think she's spot on. This is exactly why I started with Biden's plan today. It is a hard right turn towards right wing Republicans that are never going to vote for him. And he's abandoning potentially some of his base. Tiff, you had an excellent point before we got on today about why you thought he actually is not making the pivot to right wing Republicans. What did you say, Tiff, and why? That he's not making it. Well, I don't know. What did I say? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you were talking about how you think he actually is trying to appease the base because to the point we have black folks in our comments who actually agree with some of what Joe Biden has done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, but I, the difference is, I think both parties are right. But both parties yes. are doing this um, by weaponizing communities of color against each other. Uh, look, Republicans do not have any interest in protecting black men and their pathway to, um, you know, being construction workers or black women in their pathway. But they, they're very strategic in targeting black men with that message. And so you hear a lot of people parroting those same talking points, um, which is something that that you know, was going to happen anyway. Um, My only point is that immigrants, um, undocumented immigrants even, are not stealing those levels, um, that level of resource from our community. It's just not true. Study after study from the um, from the Pew Research Center to the ACLU has shown that there's not some sort of resource theft going on. And so I actually had a question for you, though, because a lot of people don't know your policy background, but you actually um, started on Capitol Hill working on Homeland Security uh, for Mr. Benny Thompson, who, as we know, um, yeah, you used, used to, uh, before when they were in the majority, chaired the Homeland Security Committee. So I do wonder when we talk about a federal immigration policy, what could that look like? Because then you get into the issue of states' rights um, and, you know, usurping some of these local governments. So I, I, I don't know the solution, but yeah. I know I would like to take away that rhetoric of we're stealing, you know, that brown folks are stealing from us because that's the devil's work. It is the devil's work, Tiff. I will say a couple of things. One is I think that we often forget that black people are immigrants, too. Um, And oftentimes, like, I don't know if you all remember, of course you remember the very traumatic photo we saw that took us back to slavery when you saw that white Border Patrol officer on a horse almost cracking a whip on a Haitian migrant, right? Like, we have to remember our humanity first. I also, and shout out to the indigenous community who've been so kind, embracing, talking to us about this pod. These borders are artificially created, Right. Like I'm not saying that there shouldn't yes. be immigration policy, but we could we putting up borders on land that wasn't theirs to begin with. You're putting up borders on stolen land, which is a mind boo 
boop. I'm not going to say the cuss word, but y'all know what I'm thinking. It's really like very triggering and traumatizing and annoying to me. White folks can come in here and blend in and our folks stand out like sore thumbs and we forget about it. So mm-hmm. I would say to the people who at home, you know, they will make a special exception for their girlfriend or their side piece or their nanny or their cleaning lady. How about Melania or your first lady, right? right? Like all of these other people you'll make exceptions for. Who got the Einstein visa. Listen. For some unknown talent we have yet to discover. We're trying to figure it out. What was her unknown talent that that she was able to leapfrog over everybody? Where's that TED talk And get this Einstein visa. Listen. But they were fine with that. Listen. But from the very beginning, um, Congressman Thompson put out border principles, standards that we should be governing by, legislation that we should be pushing. It's not just visas for folks that want to work in tech companies. You should care about the people who need work permits, who are picking fruit and repairing toilets and cleaning floors. Like we should be humane in our approach to our border security, which is why I'm so troubled by the direction that the Biden administration is now taking. I will say it is also immensely troubling. And I'm sure that part of his strategy is including this to think that the Republican party is impeaching secretary Mayorkas for not enforcing border border policy. And on top of that, Joe Biden has now said, "Okay, fine, let's go with your plan. But they're not going to go for it because Donald Trump ain't about to let them um, go rogue and give Joe Biden this alleged win. I do want to pivot here, Andrew, and come back to you. There was a Chicago City Council meeting on Chicago being a sanctuary city and an alderman spoke up in this meeting. I want us to roll that clip because I think, again, your perspective on local policy here is really important. The reason I have brought this with some of my colleagues to the floor is not to eliminate Chicago as a sanctuary city. But what it is is to find some kind of compromise and threshold to stop the bleeding that we're undertaking right now. When you look at what the city is dealing with, we're spending, when we had 12,000 migrants, We were spending $31 million a month at that time. We have 20,000 migrants today. So what is the price tag on that now? And we can't get solid answers to what it's costing us right now. Y'all don't care what y'all trying to find. Y'all trying to find housing for, 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 for for, for Venezuelans. For Latinos, for all that, y'all, y'all keep sending them over here when they need to go back. Y'all, one time have y'all sent ICE there. ICE need to come. There's prostitution. There's prostitution that's behind. There's prostitution that's behind all of these police districts. I live in Streeterville. It's prostitution right up the street. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's it's, 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 a, it's a disrespect. Woo. That's real. I don't that's like real. it. That's and real. I, I don't. I don't like it either. No, no, no. no let me. I, I, I hate it. All of us have to not like it. But the truth is, is this is where we create the the, the way for Republicans to come in and go after very discreet sets of voters. We talked about yeah. this before. They don't need everybody. They don't even need most of everybody. They just need a few. And so this yeah. is the kind of thing we can't tell these folks to disbelieve their lying eyes. Their lived experience is going to be what it is. But very quickly, one, this thing is based in a very racist and also separatist otherizing american tradition of the elite and corporate interests 
finding and figuring out a way to keep us separate, divided, and conquered. When the union started to peep up during the early uh, beginnings of the industrial complex and say, listen, these are white men. We're dying here. We need work hours that respect us. We need a weekend. We need yeah. a paid day. They, they went and did that. And what did the union bosses do? They satiated them as best they could so they didn't have to kill them outside of the mills where they were blocking the entrances of them, them importing more cheap labor in to replace them. They blocked them. And then they came up with a strata system where they started giving these folks titles but doing the same work on the floor so that the new title people who didn't even make more with the new title, they still made the same amount that everybody else did. But it created strata so that they could never come together and do this thing as a as a, as a unit. So mm-hmm. this has been an intention from the very beginning, y'all. Divide and conquer is the name of the game. And the writers of the rules are these corporate interests. But as Angela and Tiffany both said, the devil is a lie. But not only is the devil a liar, this is the devil's work. It is also a lie that immigrants are not paying their fair share, but nobody's going to believe that as a fact. They pay more than their fair share, therefore contribute more to the system than they take from. Hate me, love me, don't have an opinion. It's a fact. The other thing, the other rising is a way to divide. And this whole thing, y'all, goes back to the very beginning and it's divide and conquer. So long as they keep us thinking that the enemy is you and me and this and this, then we ain't never paying attention to how much the corporate board made. I think that's such a, I want to punctuate everything Andrew just said, because I think that's such an important point. I also want to make the point that Angela um, spoke about. um, uh, 9% of Black Americans have a foreign-born parent, meaning that their um, parent was also an immigrant. And one out of 10 Black people living in the United States is considered um, an immigrant as well. So those are all things to to keep in mind. But y'all also hit on the fact that we cannot ignore the racism that is steeped in our immigration policy. In Florida, we had wet foot, dry foot. If you were wet foot, it meant you came on a boat from Cuba. If you were dry foot, it meant you, and, and, and they would let the boats that were coming from Cuba in and onto shore, they'd become dry foot. Haitian boats, they wouldn't let them in the port. They'd turn them around in the sea so they couldn't get dry foot and send them right back to Haiti. Everybody knows it. Why were there two different policies? Right. Didn't make sense. It's steeped in racism. Well, I just think it's an important thing to point out to our audience that a lot of the reasons why these people are migrating to the U.S. is because of how U.S. policy has impacted their native countries. We have had an adverse impact on so many of these countries because if it's something that's good for 10 percent of the people in the United States, but bad for 90 percent of a population, guess what the United States does? They proceed accordingly and they prioritize our interests over everyone else. So before we shun people and lose our humanity and look at somebody trying to cross over a razor wire at the southern border with their child in their arms and watching them drown just think about how you would like to be treated and never lose sight that these are human beings that we are talking to under the most desperate of circumstances trying to find a better life and by the way we leave the master's tools with the master we are on the same team and we don't have the same vision our vision is that everybody ought to work make a good way for themselves have opportunity and be able to produce and and that's it the corporate agenda is not that yes so the sides are not americans versus internationals who want to come in and take our things the sides are those who believe in humanity the ability to work hard play hard get what it is they deserve versus those who want to keep more money more resources pocketed amongst their 10 set of friends 
Those are the sides. And speaking of more money, in order for us to ensure that we can keep this pie going and keep your listener questions coming in, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Something that has been the subject of a lot of conversation uh, in your group chats, maybe, but this week also in the media is this narrative around the black male voting block. Um, Even that descriptor I have challenges uh, with, I have to tell you. But the Washington Post had a really interesting read this week um, that essentially suggested that Biden is having trouble with black men voters. (laughs) I have so many uh, challenges and issues with this. Angela, you know, we're in a group chat where we talk about this kind of thing uh, a lot all the time. And I I just think the media framing on this is wrong. There are uh, black people are one of the most faithful democratic voters. And we've already talked about we're not faithful to a political party. We're faithful to ourselves. We're voting in favor of harm reduction. But this notion that somehow we're going to lay the failure of Joe Biden at the feet of black folks, particularly black men, I have an issue with it. I think um, there is a small sect of black men who uh, vote Republican. They certainly don't represent the masses. Uh, And when the media writes about this, I just want to scream because you know who the largest conservative voting bloc is? White men. Write about white men voting overwhelmingly for this president with 91 indictments who brags about bragging, grabbing women by their private parts who got one, two, three baby mamas Mm -hmm. all up in the White House. Write about that group of people because of their conservative beliefs. They are overwhelmingly voting for him. Write about the people who sit at the right hand of that power, white women who support this president. So I have a lot of issues to say about it. Um, but Angela, I because we had talked about this so aggressively in our group chat, that I know too. you have some thoughts about it too, because we have to ask the question, how do we engage black men in these conversations? And I have to say, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, I think has been doing a great job at that. It's not highly publicized, but I know she's had some black male centric dinners. Um, and I think it's wise of the administration to do that. I will tell you that I do have a lot of thoughts, but we also have a question that's closely enough related to this from one of our listeners, Monica Williams. 
Hey, Native Land Podcast fam. Um, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts. Um, I saw a, a Black Enterprise article recently um, that stated that about 14 to 30% of the Black vote um, was seemingly leaning towards Donald Trump, which I thought was kind of a curious stat. Um, and kind of wondering uh, what your thoughts are on that, if that stat is in fact true. Um, or if you feel that it's leaning more black men uh, are going towards Donald Trump versus black women or kind of what that looks like. And if that's the case, if there's anything um, that the Democratic Party can do um, to kind of stop the faucet from running. Yeah, I think we we know, right, that there's a, a, a distinction between black women vote and black men vote. And it's still not significant enough to call as much attention to it as is called in the press every single cycle. It's not new to Tiff's point. I do think that I uh, I believe that there's an alarm being sounded and it should be. Um, there should be no light between um, people of color and Democrats in terms of policy. But there has been traditionally and it continues to be a problem this um all hands on deck approach to recruiting back a base that Democrats lost long ago. And I would like to see them keep that same energy to ensure that our voters don't leave when they don't feel heard, aren't seen, you know, feel ignored, feel like their policy um, desires are not heard. I also think, again, I say this every week now that we need to be really clear about what our demands are and what our agenda is. Um, Andrew, I want to come to you and then I want to go to one other clip. Black male voters need to be talked to like a target uh, community as they would what you call the independent lean center voter that we're going to spend, what, six times the amount we would on a base voter trying to get out and say that we're their choice. Um, black folks are not a monolith. We say this often, but increasingly when, we, when it comes to economic strata, if you are not talking to me about more than a social program, but one that that that, yes, allows everybody to survive. But I need a thriving agenda. I want to see the agenda on a small black business recruitment, development, early seed investments, and then uh, the kind of coverage and support that folks need. You know, Donald Trump, he didn't need that. He got his from his daddy. But institutions who are supposed to do that, our banks aren't lending to us. So what public policy are you going to produce that makes that door open and easier? During COVID, what, black women were the fastest starters of new business, yet something like 97% of all startup capital was going to white men. Yeah. I, make it make sense. The, the policy isn't lining up. So don't bring me no chitlin circuit mess and think I'm going to be impressed by it. We are not. We now want you to go further. It is it is boilerplate to take care of basic human needs. Mm -hmm. Now I need you to tell me how in second and third generation college we're going to thrive. What's that agenda? And so we've got to be willing to, 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 to speak to it. And if we don't, um, if we keep thinking that the same three things are going to motivate us, civil rights paved away and we owe our ancestors a lot. Yeah. We understand that and it is baked in the cake. But those talking points are not applying to an emerging voter, black men being, I think, at the apex of it, who want more. Yeah, they want more and they deserve more, just as we would give more 
if they were considered a swing voter. Absolutely. And speaking of just that, there's a, a man named Keith Rivers um, who spoke at a Black Voters Matter town hall recently. I want to shout out Roland Martin, who gave us access to this footage um, for this town hall that I actually moderated in South Carolina last Friday. Let's take a listen. We are a little city that is right about 20 miles from the Virginia line. And so all of our media comes out of Virginia. So North Carolina doesn't see us and we don't see North Carolina. And everything around us is rural. Within 24 hours of the Charbon verdict, right after George Floyd, excuse me. On April the 21st, 2021, they shot a brother in the back of the head with an AR-15 rifle, fired 30-some of the shots in his head when he was rolling out. He was slowly going away. The coroner's report said that it was homicide. And the media came into our city. They sold out every hotel in the city. And we marched for almost a year. And we didn't burn down any buildings. We didn't shoot each other. We didn't do anything. And the media left. The media left. And those deputies that murdered Andrew Brown Jr. go to work every day. And my question is, where's the media now? Where's the black media? Who's telling our story now? Where's the black media to tell this story? That these white deputies, one of them is biracial, it don't make no difference, they all under that wall of blue. They shot this brother in the back of the head. And nobody's telling this story today. And maybe this story get told, the same sheriff got reelected. The district attorney became a judge. We don't have a black judge in our district. Who's telling our story in these rural areas? But maybe if our media, if the black media start telling our story, we won't have a problem getting people to the polls. Okay, so I know this. you guys might be asking why did we play this clip around black media, but I think it is so clear. And I want to tell you guys, because Andrew and Tiff, y'all are some of the greatest public servants I know. When I heard this man and saw this grown man cry at the mic like that, I said, I'm committing to you. We are putting this story on the podcast. We will talk about Andrew Brown Jr. But the thing that he said that is so poignant, and I know y'all feel this, when we talk to rural black voters, a lot of times they say they feel forgotten. They are only thought about every four years. And he hits that right on the head when he says the media sold out these hotel rooms that like they were everywhere. They were swarming right after this man was shot and killed. But shortly thereafter, because they left, because there was no more attention placed on this, because the TV ads are Virginia and not North Carolina, the sheriff was reelected. The DA became a, an elected judge. And Andrew Brown Jr.'s legacy is brought on by the people who worked to to boost up and to fortify his killers. This I mean, if there's not something that encapsulates mm -hmm. the problem better. I, I I don't know what it is. Like the reason black men are like, yo, I'm not doing this. The reason our people are yeah. like, forget it. The reason young people are like, I'm just trying to understand what you're doing with Gaza though. Like you're not speaking to my humanity. In fact, you don't even see me until you need my vote. Mm. That is the issue. Like we have to mm. 
drill down on the actual problem. This isn't even about going at policy. Sometimes it's just like, do you see me? Can you acknowledge my existence? I matter. Talk to me like I matter. Latasha and Clip founded Black Voters Matter, and they do the work all year long, not just in an election year, but 365, Mm. seven days a week, all of the time, because we matter all of the time. Our engagement matters all of the time. And what we hear from this man, and I also don't want to blame black media. We got a resource challenge, brother, just like everybody else. (laughs) But like... We have to do the work of staying engaged and ensuring that our folks feel seen all the time because we cannot count on any elected official, no matter their race, to do that all the time for us. We've got to do that. Thank God for Black Voters Matter for for making this happen. Mm -hmm. But truly, that's where I believe the work is. And that's where I think the disconnect really lies. We got to do that. Well, I, I think it's the re- a really good point is about rural America, right? Because when you hear people talk about rural America in the mainstream media, so often we are not included. The uh, rural America in mainstream media, the white is silent. So you assume that too. everyone lives in rural America is a white farmer who has somehow been disenfranchised. When in reality, um, more than seven percent of Black folks call rural America home, and uh, I want to say people of color comprise more than thirty percent of rural America across this country. So yes, we see you. We hear you. We understand you. I have to, too, echo uh, Angela's sentiments and defend Black media. It is a more than a resource challenge. Media everywhere is challenged. And so if you can imagine that, when it comes to Black media, it is a severe resource challenge that they do not have the resources to be on ground and cover everything like that. So I wouldn't lay that failure at the foot of Black media. I lay this failure at the foot of media, at, the, at, at, at white decision makers who do not see Um, faces like this as being real America or the heart of America. That is a challenge that we all have to press forward on. And we can't depend on, uh, you know, white run newsrooms to do that for us. That's why there's always been such credo uh, and importance to media that centers us black run media, black owned media. Um, But I just want to say that when it comes to uh, because this was such a huge conversation around the Georgia race where Stacey Abrams ran for governor. And there was a similar conversation uh, around black men. And and you think about there's Atlanta, which is a a hard blue spot on a very red map. And so as Georgia turns purple, you think about all the people in rural America there. Um, And just to give black men a shout out, because I know you all stand with us. There's a small margin of people who who venture over to the other side. But in Georgia, 27 percent or 23,000 people, excuse me, voted for Brian Kemp. 23,000 black men voted for Brian Kemp. If you took all 23,000 of those black men, they would have done nothing for the more than 50,000 lead that he had. So I just rebuke any time we're laying failure in this democracy at the foot of black folks. We have to turn that mirror and say, how are white folks voting? Because they are still the largest voting block. Yeah. You don't go after your number two highest contributing member to your success, period, bar none, by share the vote and say you're the blame for the loss. If, if you got a 50 sheet, 50 set, uh, 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 numbered long list of who your constituency is and black men right behind black women are the number one and two performers, you would think that your ad resourcing money would be so heavily concentrated on maximizing that community and being there and doing what needs to be done for that community that you make no light in between. But what black folks are willing to do and black men and black women too, I think we're pragmatic voters, but, but 
Let's just take what Donald Trump has said and is doing on the issue of criminal justice. I find it largely self-serving given his particular condition right now. But his head face on attack about the corruption of the FBI and what federal prosecutors are doing and state prosecutors and so on and so forth. That resonates with our community. Those were our talking points before he co-opted them and the folks on the right co-opted them. We were saying this is a system that is not designed for us. But it is, except to our demise. If we let them run away with criminal justice as an issue and the corruption of institutions as an issue, then I can tell you we will have something to worry about because I am done sick. I no longer will lay down and, and blindly support any governmental institution or law enforcement entity agency or individual or set of people without scrutinizing it to the highest degree. Because I've been on the side where those systems have w cooperated maliciously to make a thing that wasn't a thing a thing. And ruining and crushing lives, communities, families, neighborhoods in between. Mm -hmm. So when I look at MSNBC or CNN or any of these cable news networks and I'm hearing the same black voices that were on there saying during Barack's administration that we need a criminal justice reform and a prosecutorial accountability who are now saying, hell, when prosecutors put together their case against Trump, you know, they're not going to leave any stone unturned and now giving these folks unfettered credibility for their work. No, sir, you lose me. I'm not with that because no institution is beyond reproach and certainly not a governmental institution. And I think he's tapping on something and people are willing to willing to hear that. Absolutely. Well, we got to pay some more bills and we'll be right back after this break. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Okay, as you all know, politics are everywhere and they're definitely in hip-hop. Everywhere. We have Nicki Minaj versus Meg Thee Stallion. Meg Thee Stallion hissed first with her uh, track called Hiss. These hoes don't be mad at Megan. These hoes mad at Megan's law. And Nicki Minaj hit back with a track called Bigfoot. Yeah. 
Bigfoot, but you still a small fry. I um I want to talk about this because okay. um okay. it just went a little far for me. It went a little far for me. And um I, I want to reference first in mm-hmm. Meg's track, um, Hiss, she referenced something called Megan's Law. So she says, these hoes don't be mad at Megan. These hoes be mad at Megan's Law. And um, she referenced Megan's Law, which is about um, the re- requirement for a sexual offender to um, report that they are, in fact, a sexual offender. It's a federal law that requires law enforcement to make information available about registered sex offenders. We know that Nicki Minaj is uh, married to one, Kenneth Petty, um, who's a registered sex offender. So Nicki hit back, and she came at her about Bigfoot. Uh, Meg is 5'10", and I guess this is something about that as well as hitting at the fact that she was shot in the foot by Tory Lanez which we all know anyway we don't have to get in all that but my question is just like what do we do with this it's online bullying for 72 hours I thought we could leave it all on the 16 bars but apparently not so I'd like to hear y'all's thoughts about that yeah I gotta say I'm so disgusted by this Angela um I think it's so tragic number one that these two women are uh fighting like this in, in, in the public eye uh ladies there is nothing um attractive about tearing down another black woman it just isn't you look so much more secure and happy and together when you're secure enough in yourself to stand next to a, another queen whose light shines as bright as yours and if her light ain't shining as bright as yours is you trying to lift her up to make sure her light shines as bright as yours. The challenge with this is um, when this kind of like petty back and forth, and I believe Nicki Minaj said something about Megan's deceased mother. Yes. Uh, it feeds such a baser instinct. And um, find you a tribe and let's celebrate sisterhood. Because I couldn't imagine Salt and Pepper going after MC Light, who was going after mm. Moni Love. Like we just didn't have that um, coming up. And I don't want to morph into one of those get off my lawn uh, <laughs> middle-aged women. I'm certainly not seeing Dolores Tucker sitting up here on this panel. Um, but this ain't it. You know, what? whatever you all think this is uh, accomplishing, it doesn't. Um, 64% of young adults experience online bullying. You have black people who say, oh, suicide, that ain't something we do. That is not true. Suicides among black youth, 17, uh, 10 to 17 years old, is up 144%. And that uh, number is attributed to online bullying. So to talk about somebody who was a victim of assault, to talk about somebody's body shaping, I believe Nikki is almost 40 years old if she's not over 40. She's over 40. Uh, It doesn't matter how old you are, but that kind of behavior is disgusting. I also want to make the point, Angela, that she tweeted, um, she was tweeting with Ben Shapiro, Mm. Nikki Minaj was. Uh, Ben Shapiro is a right-wing conservative zealot, uh, a MAGA extremist. And so anytime that you are so caught up in belittling another woman, you would align yourself with somebody who doesn't even see your humanity. Mm. I would hope that you question yourself and I pray for both their healing but especially Nicki Minaj I pray for your healing sis because something inside you was broken Mm. that you would go to that level of disgusting attack on someone who lost their mother and who was the victim of an assault I don't like any of it it's not entertaining at all to the point um, Tiff just so you know this online bullying as we know um, finds its way into what happens in real life we saw that on january 6th it turns into an insurrection well there was an insurrection at uh meg the stallion's mother's grave site yep. they actually went to her grave site to deface the grave that's where we are wow. andrew i saw you about to weigh in 
No, yeah, y'all, you, I'm learning about this as I'm listening to y'all. So quick question. Yeah. Nicki Minaj's critique uh, before this thing seemed to degrade in the uh, black hole was that Megan's law or, or, or. My point was that Meg said in the lyrics, she says, you think Hoes is mad at Megan, but they're really mad at Megan's law. Like the fact that he has to report. That's actually the lyric. She's talking about Nikki's husband, who's a registered sex offender. Megan's law is existed yes, already. But she's saying no, right. right? Okay, so she threw it back at her, at her as a dig. Nikki responded with Bigfoot. But here's the other thing: this is happening in real time, while like literally today we record. You guys know we pre-record. There is a kids online safety act being discussed in the Senate. This has everything to do with bullying and harassment and all these things. So I'm saying sure, you got yeah, adults yeah. demonstrating why this is so dangerous for kids. There are kids who, when they're bullied online, yeah. go home and commit or um, die by suicide. We have to be mindful of how we're carrying ourselves, particularly when you have a fan base. Agreed. Charles Barkley said in that commercial back in the day, I'm not a role model. Guess what? You are as soon as you step in that limelight. There are kids who are emulating themselves to try to be like you. There are adults who are trying to be like you. Nicki Minaj, sis, you're 41. I'm 44. I'm just saying we might have to shine a light and be a role model even for the sisters in their 20s like Meg. Meg's been through a lot. Right. Like, I mean, come on. And it and it's hip hop there. I mean, you know, like it's hip hop. There's always been rap battles in hip hop. You ain't got to take it to Twitter. It's too far. Never like this. Never like this. I mean, I think of LL Cool J and Cool Mo D. They had one of the dopest rap battles. And when you, you know, hear those Nas lyrics, and Jay-Z. Exactly. Throughout history, there's always been rap battles. This is something else. And the fact Come that on. people are going to her mother's grave, debasing her grave, I just find it all disgusting. And listen, Angela and I, and Andrew, all of us have been, have experienced ugly comments on social media. I am a grown-ass woman. So I know the difference between my real life and what people are on here saying. Yes. And still it can impact me when somebody overwhelmingly is saying something people have an opinion on your hair your outfit everything you look like who you date all of that yeah. stuff it can be overwhelming to a grown adult who's securing herself so you imagine being 13 or 15 and seeing this behavior play out and then mimicking it yeah. with your peers and the consequences are dire so parents monitor the social media kids share responsibly behave responsibly um if you're the victim of online bullying you can report those comments there are some uh safe, safe practices uh out there for for you that you can google but this is not yeah. um this is not normal behavior this is the behavior of at least one broken woman if not two and it's nothing to celebrate i, I want to co-sign everything I, again less less informed about it but i do know this much i don't have to be that informed to know this this is the point at which the close friends, the enlightened ones who are close respectively to these women, this is when you tell them on the side to take a beat and y'all going to handle this inside the door rather than out in the yard, in the street and up at the community plaza because these beasts happen all the time. Grown folks have them. Young folks have them. It impacts all of us differently. And every one of us has areas of areas of brokenness, but this ain't the forum. And these women, my colleagues, have pointed out many reasons why it isn't. But it, 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 to me, underscores why you have to have people around you who are willing to pull you up and out so you can stop being at the three uh, inch level and get out to the 3000 level and see what the big picture is. Then women don't know enough about each other 
to go at one another so viscerally and so personally. That that's a disconnect. I I, I used to feel this way when I get emails from people who were just tearing me to pieces don't know me from tom adam cat except for the comment or the clip or the whatever they read and i had to quickly come to a place and i thank yadi for this mm. angela knows her i had to get in a place where look your opinion of me is not my business because you can't feel this much unless you've experienced something in your life personally exactly, that yeah. has been triggered and lifted and you are hurt. And so guess what? I know you put my name there, but yeah. you can change it to whomever this is intended for um, because some healing has to happen there. You can't, you don't know me well enough to feel that way about me uh, whatsoever or to take the time to write that much about me. How take about it, that? Take, take that back to right. who it is intended for right. because you're a, opinion of me is not my business it's not and these women need friends who are pulling them up all that time you spent oh, all that please. time writing to a stranger okay i i i let me i just can i just say really quickly because a- angela knows this like uh, we there are different social circles and you know for the young people what you do at 20 will still stick with you when you're 30 when you're 40 so you always want to try to live like a good life and everybody deserves redemption there are people who might be who I, I might not be their favorite person, you know, and they might say, oh, Tiffany Cross, I don't like her. And somebody comes to me and they say, oh, well, Susie Q says she don't like you. <laughs> At this moment, I have a choice. I can say, I don't give a shit if Susie Q don't like me, who cares? Or I can say, you know, that's really unfortunate. I've always liked her and I thought she was a pleasant person, but I hope she's well and I'm whatever I did, I, I hope that she can find healing in it for her own life. In that moment, who looks like the more senior person? So Nikki and Megan, if somebody, not every hey, insult Tiffany, deserves a response. <laughs> Tiffany, my response would have been, why are you chasing over here to me to tell me somebody's business and why they feel comfortable telling you and not me right that's the whole other conversation <laughs> what you say when they said they ain't like me no. and why they feel comfortable telling no. you they ain't like me that's something to think about too stay out of mess keep your mouth shut and stay out of mess anyway so we spent a lot of time in mess today and i just gotta say you know who else is in our mess didn't nobody ask him to be there Ooh. the nsa so oh, the, the, the the Senate, the Senate has held a hearing on this because, you know, we're trying to understand what tech companies responsibility is to us. There's this um, ability right now for um, folks to buy Internet metadata that is telling all our business. So you think you're going to do something online and you hit that delete button. It's still there, boo boo. And there's somebody who I'm really surprised I agree with who had something to say about this. Let's roll that clip. Mr. Zuckerberg. You and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. Now, Senator Blumenthal and Blackburn, who've been like the dynamic duo here, have found emails from your company where they warned you about this stuff and you decided not to hire 45 people that could do a better job of policing this. So the bottom line is you can't be sued. You should be. And these emails would be great for punitive damages. But the courtroom's closed. Every American abused by all the companies in front of me. Let me find out, Lindsay. I mean, I feel bipartisan today because Lindsay tore that down. Now, it feels like that really went more with... 
Meg and um, Nikki. But I will say that um, on this, the Senate has been relentless at figuring out what is happening with tech companies, what like what their responsibility is to the general public, particularly kids. Uh, Lindsey Graham mentioned um, Senators uh, Blackburn and Blumenthal, who are also the co-sponsors of the um, the Kids Online Safety Act we just talked about. I have got to tell you, the NSA spying is, of course, not a surprise. That's what they do. But the um, ability to pass off our metadata without a warrant is deeply troubling for me. And I think this is a place where libertarian Republicans would also agree with us on this. I don't know if y'all have stuff on this, but I just I I had to get that that Lindsey Graham clip in there. I was surprised. Yeah, I so Lindsey Graham was definitely it was uh, in the hearing about um, online safety and uh, online bullying. But the NSA, a completely different issue. Look, this is surveillance capitalism run amok. And uh, obviously, as black Americans, we know that government agencies has always taken license to spy on us, not just during COINTELPRO, but even in recent history during Black Lives Matter, when the FBI had a whole list um, of folks that they were targeting. I think it's interesting how, you know, people are very paranoid and, you know, they won't do certain things. They won't vote they won't take the vaccine and they won't do other things because they think people are spying on them let me tell you who's spying on you this right here this phone in your hand they are collecting all your data all your information and spoon feeding you information uh on your uh, google search on your navigation page on your instagram landing page tiktok etc and so uh, you know i think technology as we've said many times before is moving faster than law and policy uh, particularly when you think about some of the artificial intelligence tools that are feeding some of our devices that we engage with every day. Even TikTok, this is not uh, a business that was born here in America. Um, the owners of TikToks are, are um, Chinese. And so th- there are features on TikTok that monitor how even your finger movements, they monitor how you hold your device, how you tap your device. Now, it might not matter if somebody's watching your 10-year-old now, but when that 10-year-old becomes a 30-year-old and they work for the NSA and people are collecting their data, it matters a great deal. So I, you know, I wish I had a solution, but I appreciate you bringing this up, Angela, and raving, uh, waving a huge red flag that this is something that's happening and certainly something that we need to pay attention to and get ahead of these government agencies um, before they get too far ahead of us. Well, Lindsey Graham could pass some laws, number one, but until we get that done, he could begin his care and concern by stop being an online bully harasser himself. Uh It's hard for me to take him seriously when he uses these very same platforms to go individually yeah. after people, tell it all, to Andrew. call for violence in states and in nations across the world, to threaten other political leaders for whom he disagrees. So, while y'all are working on the law, could you at least, I don't know, self-govern and start to exhibit? what it means to be a responsible user of this information, not just an abuser when it suits you. And Zuckerberg, uh, y'all, I'll just restate this, which is let's not get the enemy twisted. It isn't left and right Republican man next to the, to, to the Democratic woman. Corporate interests turn those groups on and off at their pleasure. Mm. They create divides at their pleasure. They, they create wedges at their pleasure because what they understand eminently is that the matrix that they have built is resilient. It is intended to produce a certain outcome and to keep the powerful as powerful as they can be. They see nothing. They are ungenerous with it. 
And so I, I love to go after individuals and parties who do their whatever. But the real enemy here is the corporate interests who have always been at the center of the design of systems where they built this system to be resilient. It will not break because they have tried and true methods like once you sick this group against this group, once you sail this to, uh, 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 to this group and we got to create these uh, environments where you keep us, the sum of us, Heather McGee separated so i you know thank you Lindsay. appreciate it practice what you preach okay (laughs) oh we needed that miami (laughs) that uh that south that base (laughs) that uh, (laughs) south city base (laughs) okay we're luke and trina when you uh when you need uh uh and trick when you need them hey so speaking of the we're going to questions from the audience we only have one left because as you know we've done such a wonderful job at integrating them this time so we're gonna pause here for questions for the audience hello native land podcast uh my name's norvell i'm a grandfather got two granddaughters five children and i'm a gen xer my question is how do you feel technology can help black America? And how do you feel it's going to hinder us if we don't get involved with it now, especially with the election season in full swing? That's real. Uh, Brother Lavelle, I was doing the math on Gen X. I was like, I think I'm one of them. These generations confuse We're on me. The cusp. 30 years. We're on the cusp. It's not the point. Um, I think hopefully what he is saying in the use of technology is it's evolved in a whole bunch of ways, not just sitting at a computer and reading articles, but cell phones, how we vote. Should I be able to technology advance to a way where I can vote right from the comfort of my living room, where there are states that are exhibiting and some local communities are showing how that could work? Um, I'm a huge advocate for our aging population to stay connected to technology for its good uses because uh, let me tell you the right is using it and they're using it against a lot of black folks who are on the internet and use technology i know uh, angela gave a story the other day i I got way too many to give well my mother takes screenshots you need to contact this person about this bitcoin who sent me an email saying you know they had money for me that folks are using these things for evil and they're getting directly to who they're trying to target and that's you and what i would say is is certainly as we age and with elections coming around we have to check our sources primary sources which means that is a headline like the atlanta constitution journal the tell us you know whatever your legitimate sources of news but you sending me some facebook ad article you some red so what have you picked up off of i'm so, i need sources need source i need this has to be validated some number of places don't be giving your social security and all that stuff out over over the internet all i'm saying is the tools exist there they are getting to older folks we just need to teach folks how to best use this so it's not weaponized against them and right now technology is being used on both politically for weaponization, but also the big bad enemy, the huge, huge, huge top 1% corporate interest who has a reason for sending and allowing and not regulating certain things or allowing certain regulations so they could get directly to you for this very special purpose. Um, but it's no mistake. <laughs> it's intentional. Yes. 
Can can I just I want to just jump in and say for the younger people uh, on technology, it's also a big deal. Black people over index when it comes yeah. to using technology, particularly social media. Um, and so if we're over indexing there, I would love to see more oh, people sure. pursue uh, fields of study in STEM, learn to code, learn to design, um, learn how you can benefit financially from something that you enjoy doing. And there are in increased amounts of programs that support uh, for young folks who who want to pursue um, studies in, in the areas of, of science, technology, yeah. um, engineering, and math. Yeah, so. and pursue it with an intention toward the greater good, achieving some good. Uh, we have one more audience question. Hi, Native Land Pod. My name is Tina West, and I'm from Detroit, Michigan. And my question is, how are we going to engage the younger generation and encourage them to show up and vote in the 2024 election cycle? Couple of things. Everyday working Black folks, young folks, they are not feeling any of the effects of the Biden administration. It's hard out here. And then they sit on their phones and they see the genocide that's happening overseas at the at the hands of Israel. And they hear Biden saying that he's going to support them. How do we shift the focus on what is important here at home and encourage these people to get out and vote for their interests? How can we engage them? Well, I'm happy that she she brought up um, what's happening in Israel, because I, I wonder, does the administration understand the wide, vast impact this has had on their voting base? Um, you know, it's hard to look at the imagery that we see and not have some sort of disdain on what is being allowed to take place and happen in Gaza, regardless of where you stand on on this divide uh, in, in this issue. It is, to me, an issue of just humanity. Mm. And I think for people of color, it's hard to look mm -hmm. at this and not identify uh, with those people who we would call oppressed and oppressed people and the bloody, gory violence. Um, this week, the latest video I saw was a grandmother uh, who had been invited to safety, walking with her grandson, waving a white flag, and you see her get gunned down. It's hard to see that imagery and not be outraged about it. So I at least want to show up and first validate mm -hmm. young people for feeling that way and seeing that and we understand that um, and we won't be one of the people who are going to spit in your face and try to convince you it's raining. No, that is real and you have every right to be outraged. I want to push back, however, on this notion that Gen Z does not benefit from the Biden administration. I think we have to do a better job at uh, informing voters across every uh, demographic, every age group. Um, we are benefiting from Democratic-led policies, from Democratic push policies. I think we have to consider um, the states you live in. Uh, often when um, the federal government gives money, the local government controls how that money is First. issued or spent. And so when Democrats vote for something, a, you know, a boost in federal funding that gets to states, if you have a Republican governor controlling the purse strings, then no, that money does not always get yeah. to uh, where it needs to get to, especially for people who look like us. I would hold up Mississippi as a yes. perfect example of that uh, with Tate Reeves um, and, and look at what's happening with uh, 
Lumumba down there uh, in Jackson in their water system. So that's a, a top topic for another day. But I just remember, young folks, you, there are plenty of policies coming out of the Biden administration from um, infrastructure to the employment rate um, that are that are impacting you. And also remember those down ballot races uh, and issues that impact you, too, from um, ballot initiatives to your mm-hmm. uh, city council, to your school board, to your local government. So if you don't participate um, in this process, you cannot That's shape real. democracy to your liking. Guess what? We have this. I've been waiting for this the whole time. I'm so excited. We have someone who's already such a fan, uh, such a part of the Native Land Pod community that they submitted a song. And it's not a traditional Q&A, but we are going to take this moment really quick to play a song that was submitted, a little Native Land Pod jingle from Daniel Lawrence, who I believe is a constituent of our good friend Ayanna Presley. He resides in the Roxbury neighborhood in Boston, Massachusetts. Let's roll that thing. Welcome home with the natives, landing on the podcast space, testing for greatness. 60 minutes or so hit, not too long for the grave shit. High-level convo, politics in a way that you can taste it, then digest it. Politics touches you even if you don't touch it, so get invested. Cross the T's and dot the I's, kill them back to get them, stand on business with Rye. You could have been anywhere, but you chose us, native land podcast, a brand that you can trust. Yes, yes. Let me just let me Ice. just stand Get up. That down. Let me just stand Get that up. Down. I'm just standing on I business with Rye. I'm standing Thank on business you, with brother. Rye. Right we now. love that. Okay, I gotta sit back down. Y'all can't see me standing up anyway. That's all right. Speaking of standing hey, on that's business, it. that's it. Speaking of standing business, we got another ad break, and after the ad break, our brother Andrew Gillum sharing his testimony. We'll be right back. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Okay, we're back. Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sisters. And 
to our amazing audience. Thank you as well for listening and supporting. And um, last week, uh, Tiffany and Angela had some sympathy for my post-construction mouth. Mostly they were looking at my odd expressions, I guess, throughout. I didn't see it. Didn't bother me. It's okay. Uh, but it was painful. And I'm thankful for y'all's grace and their grace. We love you. Um, and allowing me to, to start to, um, I love y'all back. Uh, to start to unpack a little bit of um, my own personal story and what has allowed me to arrive at this moment. And um, um, before I sort of d- dive in, I, I want to just set the stage that part of my sharing this um, is actually, I can say that what it's not about. One, um, it isn't about explaining to anybody anything just because you're curious. Um, it isn't about uh, me feeling forced to do so, uh, by anyone for anything, for any money. Um, it isn't about explaining for the purposes of anyone understanding even because I know that explanations doesn't, doesn't necessarily lead to an understanding. Um, and it isn't about addressing haters and others who have opinions of you that will not change, may not change. Um, because I have long ago suspended with the fact that people's opinions of me and my business, they've got to interrogate why that is. And I hope this doesn't sound bombastic to anybody, but I want to be very clear that my reason for wanting to share more about my walk and my experience um, is out of hope that through sharing that there are individuals who may be going through, have gone through, or whether they know it or not, will go through, um, that there are so many of us who stand on the other side of that journey. And while I know there'll be many, many, many more life lessons for me to learn from, um, um, I am I am thankful to God, and, and it's taken me some time to get here, for taking what others may have meant for bad and destructive, and I'll just say it, for my death, um, may have been the exact things that conspired for my resurrection. And so to God be the glory for that. Many of you all, of course, heard about um, what happened in Miami. If you didn't know me from running for governor, but you heard about me running for governor, um, uh, you didn't see me in my post-election work on CNN or traveling or public speaking. Um, what you know and last got updated about was a hotel room and pictures that looked salacious and um, um, my inviting in folks to my bi- bisexuality. Um, but what you should know is that while Miami was loud and explosive and eye-catching, um, it wasn't the beginning of the bottoming for me. Um, it was me really hitting a rock bottom after many, 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 many years of work toward a thing and then to not reach that goal and to have a lot of pain and agony around really all of it, but nowhere to put it, you start to put it on yourself and it becomes incredibly self-destructive. So let me stop by saying, 
politicians are oftentimes demonized because they run for office and people, those politicians. So there's a thing that you expect from us, how we show up, what we say, how inauthentic we may be. Well, I've lived too much of life at this point and experienced too much for superficial hype up, superficial, really anything. I just want it real. Um, and so you should know that I got into public service from a very, very, very young, young age. And I was one of those kids, if you let my mom tell it, one of seven kids, you know, grew up in poverty, uh, by and large economically down in Miami Day, Miami, Richmond Heights, shout out. Um, but but my mother would joke as she tells stories of my childhood about how I would run around with penny loafers on after I got out of school and I was particular about making sure my pennies were in there. How I um, was a very caring person, but often was very much about the plan. How are we going to get this done? How are we going to get this done? And, and um, I also told the story when I was running for governor about some of the sadder instances of my growing up where I would see the police show up at the house and my mom would start crying hysterically because she'd been told that one of my brothers had been you know, locked up or got into some trouble of some sort and she'd have to go down and see about them. And as the fifth of seven children, um, all boys and one girl, my baby sister, and the first of my siblings to attend college and to graduate, um, much of the decision for me to go that route, to go the route of service was, I remember trying to commit to myself, if not verbally to my mother, how badly it hurt me to see her cry and that in life, I just wanted to make sure that and the things that I did that I didn't make my mom cry for being sad, but if she cried, it was because she was happy and proud. And I didn't want her to be visited by tears and anguish of me getting into some kind of trouble, but tears and joy over, over the good that I was doing. And so as a kid, I would watch C-SPAN. And I remember back in the day, Maxine Waters who was a young, younger woman, she's still young, um, in Congress, and she would be down on that floor speaking with all kind of power and strength and declaration and clarity. And I was like, I want to be her. I want to know that woman, and that's what I want to be when I grow up. Um, because she was talking like I didn't hear black people talk to white men. Mr. Speaker, such and such and such, and you know, on and on. And I was impressed by that power uh, to be able to show up as us without compromising what it looks like, what it sounds like, and what the truth is. I ran for student government. I was in the sixth grade, got elected, and served every year through high school, all through college, becoming student body president at FAMU and a member of the board of trustees, the first student ever to serve on that board. And then directly after that into city commission where I got elected to a citywide seat in a city that at the time was almost 70% white that elected me citywide to the Tallahassee City Council, becoming the youngest person ever in the history of the city to be elected to serve there where I served for, uh, you know, three terms and then ran for mayor and got elected. I say that to say I have been in service for a long time and I say service for a reason because I'm almost Pollyannish. I used to be giddy about it. Uh, not about the position, but about the fact that I could show up at a meeting on Monday night to deal with, I don't know, high utility bills and make a decision on that same night that by Wednesday would lower people's rates 
and that they would see a system working for them. And why that was important to me was because as a, as a child, I would watch my mother make calls for help because she was a little low on what it was going to cost to make both rent and keep the lights on. Pardon me. Okay. And I remember the feeling of feeling helpless because I couldn't do anything to help the situation and that I was a burden because who was she keeping a roof over the head of and who was she keeping the light bill on for? It was us. She was doing what was needed to help us get by, right? Making a way out of no way, which we're all so familiar with in our community. But those early imprints have been everything to how I've approached governing and politics. That this isn't, this is not a game. What we're doing here tonight is not a joke. The decisions we're making have real everyday impact on people's lives. So it matters what we do. I say that because almost up until this day, um, that's the kind of feeling I've had about our government and what it can do. Not all the bad, treacherous things that have been done, but the good that can be done there. So as a true believer, and when I decided to run for governor, I made that decision because I was clear about what I wanted to do for the people of the state of Florida. Expertly clear on so many of the issues that I saw as a local official that showed up at the local level that the state didn't seem so hip or tuned to, or maybe they did and they just were making the choice to communicate to me, people who look like me and were situa situated similarly, that we didn't matter. Medicare expansion, real criminal justice reform, where I would on the trail say that nobody should be judged forever by their worst day. Where did that come from? That came from the fact that my brother Chuck did time for being found guilty of drug sales and, and at high quantities. And I remember my brother Chuck only as a person who was cutting yards at 13 and going through the neighborhood, picking up stuff. I mean, finding any way he could to hustle so he could bring some cash home to my mom so she could add a little bit more to the pot for what we were going to eat. So this out just this man who wanted to be a man for not just our household but my aunties and others who were struggling he did what he could to make a way for them and so the fact that he was being judged by a singular conviction to me just didn't seem to make sense and it ha maybe it happened maybe it didn't i stand with him but why should we judge him and create policies that will keep him locked out on his neck and on his knees all the time because of the ways in which we eliminate folks. So when I said you shouldn't be judged forever by your worst day, it was because I believed it because I had seen it. And y'all, it would come to pass that after losing that race for governor by 0.4% difference, the closest margin in the history of the state of Florida, I ran also instead of choosing to run for reelection as mayor of the city of Tallahassee. So for the first time in my life, as a 40 year old man going back to sixth grade, but certainly from the age of 23 and I'm 44 today, I didn't have a title to give me a seat at the table where decisions were being made about the things and the people I cared about as I had been able to do all of my life up until that point.
find solutions. And the night when I gave my uh, concession, I broke down when I said that I was sorry to the voters that I couldn't bring it home for them. And no one wrote that line for me. I knew it for myself because the loss was already beginning to feel like my skills could no longer be used for good to help lift the community that I cared about, which were the people of my state and particularly those who found themselves at the margins of everything always in my state. And that I had gotten so close and we just couldn't get past it all. And I started thinking about all the things that got in the way of, of that being possible. The fact that I couldn't do anymore, that I did everything that I could within my own power to win the race for governor. Um, but all the while was haunted by a particular set of headlines around me being under FBI investigation and whispers of, of corruption and corrupt activity on my part and so on and so forth. And everywhere I went, I would have to ask, answer questions about these things. And I would, I was, I was rehearsed and polished enough to say, I'm not worried about, it. I have no idea because I knew what my actions were, but then to see leaks of information coming out throughout the course of the campaign that would again suggest that I was doing something untoward, it became almost too much for voters to be able to, to overcome that. And could 0.4% of voters in a state of 20 million, where 8 million plus people had turned out to vote, had been affected by a narrative that said that I was a taker in this for the wrong reason, corrupt, and now trying to swindle the people out of Florida so that I could, I don't know, just take care of myself, buy some new shoes, whatever that was about. I say that all y'all to say that Miami was never just Miami. And if you want to make that this case in your own life, that thing that you're embarrassed and shamed for is never just that thing. We're not people who can be diced up into all these different varieties. We like to think so. But everything is everything. If something impacts you in your walk to become governor and you lose and so on and so forth, it contributes to the way you view the next big risk. Do you go for that next big thing or are you too traumatized by what it felt like to not be able to do? And y'all, despite the way that I looked and the highlight reel that I tried to keep up with and post over the course of the rest of 2018 and through 2019, I was going off the rail, making horrible decisions for myself, drinking and, and understand this whole drinking thing that, that, that I wasn't a drinker in college, didn't do it in high school. Didn't the first uh, time I smoked weed was in college. I can, hope I can say that now, but no hard, no, no, no drinking. My daddy was an alcoholic. My, my gr grandmother relatives before I, I knew what that looked like, but I was so high on what I was doing, being a service, I didn't need nothing to take me out of that reality. But when you are then faced with another reality that the, the universe conspires with circumstances to then say you're not of service, you get busy being busy, at least in my case, to distract from whatever you can. Fast forward to Miami where 
this all hit ahead publicly. I am not going to get into to, to things that I don't know and put out speculation that I can't necessarily confirm and so on and so forth. I'm not going to do that to you. What I will say is what I came to learn about the episode that uh, evening, um, what I know today and what most people don't know in the public, you know, they, they don't match. And I'm not necessarily in a hurry to go and relitigate all of those pieces and parts because in truth, uh, my spiraling from 2018 all the way to March 13th of 2020, Miami, um, there were too many nights and too many days where I should have deserved a lot worse because I made choices that should have landed me in a lot worse. I was not a model father, not a model leader, not a model man, not a model husband and partner and best friend. I was the antithesis of all of that by the point that I reached that day where I made the choice after a work day I did in Miami to try to connect with a guy who I knew um, from, from, from a number of times before, not during the campaign, um, where we had a special relationship. We'd get together and, you know, um, um, enjoy the company of being around people who didn't care that you, you know, you're not mayor and you're not governor and that you, um, um, but certainly by my measure, pretty powerless, didn't care about that, but just thought I deserved to have fun and being, being un, 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 um, how do you say, company that was unjudging. Um, and all throughout, the time, I, I wouldn't even bore you and I wouldn't embarrass my family by going through all of mischief um, that you do when you find yourself at rock bottom. But I will tell you, regardless of the reasons for doing, you think they are, there's a big, big wound that needs to be healed and you just don't know it. So you're willing to fill it with anything that at a time might feel good. I was there on Miami beach on the afternoon of the 11th, about five after I finished some meetings and text a friend of mine, Hey, I'm, I know you're down at Miami beach. I'm here in town. Let's get up. I've got to go to the airport and pick up a car and um, pick up my wife and some of my best friends that are coming into town for this wedding this weekend. But you know, I'll drop by, we'll get a drink and whatever, uh, you know, and I'll get onto the airport. Um, and I do drop by and I do get a drink at about five thirty, maybe six in the evening and we'll need to leave soon after. And the last memory I have is having that drink. And the next memory I have from that five or six o'clock in the afternoon is just around midnight where I'm awake and maybe alert and I'm sitting on the counter in the bathroom surrounded by what must have been maybe six Miami Beach law enforcement officers who were all uniformed with their cameras and on their bodies and I am naked, unclothed, not even a towel. And I say, what is going on? What happened? Da, da, da. And they start to say, we're responding to a medical call of an overdose. Da, 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 da. And I say, who overdose? Overdose of what? What's going on? Da, 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 da. And they say, well, your friend and their pills and the, da, da. and I said, what in the world are you talking about? And I then say, I'm sorry, but where are my clothes? 
I mean, really, I'm, I'm coming to my awareness. And a higher up turns the corner and comes in and he says, one of you go in there and grab, gra- grab his clothes, get him a towel, something, you know, decent, very sort of, you know, dis- yeah, give him his, his clothes. I said, okay, well, what time is it, y'all? Because I've got to pick um, my wife and some folks over in the airport. It's uh, uh, whatever class midnight. And now I'm in shock because I've lost all this time and I have no idea what went on. Anyway, fast forward past that. They, I get dressed. I then say, I've got to get back to my hotel and get my luggage and then get to the airport. Da, da, da. And the officers say, and I said, and I can Uber. Where's my phone? If somebody gives my phone, I can, I can call an Uber. And this sergeant says, oh, no, we'll give you a ride. And I thought that was interesting. I said, okay. I, I put my clothes on. We walk out of the bathroom. And now it's about four higher ups officers brass and we walk to the elevator and down the elevator to the through the lobby to their patrol car and we all get in the patrol car and i tell them where i'm staying and and they seem to know where i'm staying but they take me back out of the beach and across the water back to my hotel and i get to the hotel of mine and i start they walk me and then they want to walk me all the way up to my room i allow them to escort me up and they tell me on the drive over they say one of those others says so listen th- this is we know you're married we know you have kids but i just want you to know th- this is going to be public record because we we were responding at first to a medical call but which would have not been public because it's just medical but this was a potential homicide <gasps> i said a homi- who da- a what i said oh well it, it didn't happen but we had to report it as a potential homicide and so it's going to be made public at some point tomorrow. So I just want you to know, you know, so that, you know, the people you need to talk to, you can do that. And I say, absolutely. You know, thank you. Thank you so much. Can you tell me about what time? Can y'all send me the report when it's written so that I can see what's in it before it goes? Through? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I say, well, here's my cell phone. We get to my hotel. They walk me up to the door. I'm not sure if they're going to come in, but I kind of turn around and I say, thank you. I just got to get my luggage. I've got to get to the Airbnb. I got to catch up on it. And, and, and that's the end of it with, with those folks. But I, I'm still now just totally uh, blurred. But I got to get to Jay and my wife and I've got to get to our, our B, Airbnb. So I race there and I get there and and um, it's it's early in the morning and I don't want to wake anybody. But I go and I wake one of my guy friends and I tell them what I think happened. I was like I was at this. I went and met a friend at a hotel. I don't know what, you know, went down, but it wasn't good. I was naked and so on and so forth. And he's probably like, what are you talking about? But I'm piecing it together, y'all, as best I can. And I say, I got to go up and I tell, and I got to tell Jay, I'll let her sleep a few hours, but I'll go up. But then I go out and I call the cell number of the guy who I will not name that I was there to meet because I didn't see him before I left. I mean, I went from the bathroom, which was right by the door, out into the elevators to see if if he'd answer and I could find out what this whole homicide thing was because I was totally unclear. And lo and behold, he answers. When I'm told that the homicide was he almost dying. So I'm like, I heard something happened. And he's like, yeah, it was really bad. I was just, you know, knocked out. This is a sort of thing. And but I'm thinking he's fully awake and he's got his own cell phone. And And I was like, you know what? Those officers never took a statement from me. I didn't write anything. And and if it was a homicide, why didn't I why didn't I do any of that? Now I'm now I'm really confused because I'm like, I just called the homicidal victim and he answered the phone. And now 
these four guys are taking me back to my hotel, but they didn't get anything off me. And I don't remember ever taking a blood test, a drug test, getting stuck by a needle, a STD test, nothing. So it's still not making sense. But all I know is I made a set of decisions that landed me in this situation. And so when I, when Jay wakes up, I say, I have to tell you something and I don't know how you are going to react to it, but let me, let me finish um, because it's really bad. And I start to say, what's what? And I start confessing to all kinds of things because I don't know what I did or what I didn't do. But I know that I've been modeled before. And so even if I'm confessing to something that I had done before and you needed to know it, this was the moment of release because everybody will know it tomorrow. And um, thankfully, my wife and I, she already knew I was bisexual. And so we, she knew that before we got married and we talked and you know, all that kind of stuff. So there was no blind spot here. And I could speak very openly about um, the things except that what I said that night about what had happened, um, I later learned in the days after weren't true when we were able to find through a lot of means all the footage from the cell phone of the person that I saw there. Um, um, and, and then those things were able to be provided to me later, but I don't want to jump the story. Jay takes it as best she can. And then um, I start to tell her we've got to be, you know, we're there for a wedding. In fact, I am going to be presiding over the wedding um, of this friend um, in two days. That's why we're in Miami. And I say to them, we've got to tell them I'm going to help them find someone else to do this. I do not deserve this honor. And I'll pack my things, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll get out of here. And hopefully it'll tamp down so that their wedding doesn't become, you know, chaos. Ultimately, the couple came to me. They were she, the one of the, the the bride stayed at the house that we were at for one night, and she came to me and she said, "We've talked, and there is nobody else who will marry us. If it's not you, we will not get married this weekend." Of course, when I'm thinking the worst of myself. And this is not what I wanted to hear from her. I really wanted not to be associated with this big day. But I want to know, Kanisha gave me um, a little modicum of humanity when she said that uh, they wanted me to do that. Okay. So now I know I can't just rush away from Miami because we got to stay another day because this thing has to happen. We've got to manage this crisis. And the day is a disaster. We break the internet. Everything just goes haywire. This, the, 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 the report I was waiting for someone to send me never came. Um, we learned about it from a blogger, a right-wing blogger on the internet who released it. And so my first time reading it was from that as a source. So it, it is sufficient to say that the Miami Beach police, someone took a screenshot of their information and document before I was ever notified it was given to a right-wing you know, outlet. And so the day gets shaped by that. But my friends who are with me are just trying to keep things confined. The couple goes on eventually to cancel the regular ceremony and we do a very, 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 very early beachside ceremony with just a few of us. Um, 
And then there is me trying to get out of Miami. And my brother, who lived in Chicago, um, flew down to drive Jay and I from South Florida back to Tallahassee to avoid just the spectacle of going to the airport and being in public. These people were camped out everywhere. And my friend, Angie, Angela, put me with a therapist, um, a practice I had no real belief in before because I just didn't understand the purpose of unpacking stuff with people who couldn't help you put it back together. They couldn't solve the harm and they didn't create, they couldn't solve it. That was my thinking. But Yadi saw me and saved me. I talked to Iyanla Vanzant that day on the advice of Van Jones telling her to give me a call. I talked to Tyler Perry that day. And this is where I wanted to make a mention because he said, Andrew, I'm so sorry this happened. I don't know the details. I don't know anything, but I'm glad that I'm hearing your voice right now. And, I, and I'm, I'm hating this, but I want you to know that you need to think on, on this moment what God may have saved you from. So I thought back to homicide and I'm thinking, I guess the picture, I guess the picture could have looked different. I hadn't thought about that. He said, I'm sorry for all that you will lose here, but who knows what God was saving you from. And we get in the car and we start to make the trip. And at different points, I am... We're pretty much silent on the road. Jay and I are in the backseat of this SUV. My brother's driving in front. Um, and um, my phone's blowing up. Everyone is reaching out and I'm hearing both them good, bad, and in between. And I keep having these moments of breakdown. And this one moment where I have a breakdown, if you will, RJ reaches over and she starts to rub my back. I, I am bowed over in the seat, uh, closed tight as I can tie, uh, as they could be my eyes, maybe thinking that if I blinked hard enough when I opened them, this will have been a dream. And I hear RJ shuffling and I feel her pretty body moving around and I don't know what she's doing, but the silence was interrupted um, by a song coming on through the car speakers. And in a moment where RJ had every reason to hate me, not want to share our car with me, not a car ride, when I had just been the most undeserving of partners in the world, a bad example of her dad, I don't know, a horrible human, but absolutely the worst of a spouse. She reached over to me and, and rubbing my back and the song coming on just in the moment to disrupt a thought that I was having about what it might mean to not be here so that 
people may not have reason to talk about my wife and my kids anymore. And then the voice comes through. And I recognize the song immediately. And the lyrics start. And it says, you thought I was worth saving. So you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping. So you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrificed your life so I could be free, so I could be whole, so I could tell everyone I know that you thought I was worth saving. And in the moment where I was thinking about not saving my life, the singer, the lyrics, but most importantly, RJ saved my life right there in that moment because I believed for a second that God was saving me rather than ending me. And instead of RJ being angry and mad, she saw the person who I was, who she chose to marry, who was her best friend. And while I didn't understand in that moment the word grace, RJ taught me the meaning of grace, which is even when you don't deserve it, when you've done nothing to earn it, maybe you've done the exact opposite, everything to lose it, that in this moment, you deserve love and humanity and care. So I want to thank RJ, first and foremost, for saving me and my life. To then go on and to then see how viscerally she was being attacked for her decision to stand by me sent me to a whole nother level. Because I could take what people were saying about me. I deserved it. I thought I couldn't understand what would cause people to go so horribly against the victim of the woman who was as in her right to be angry and hate me and as she can, but she chose in that moment that we were not going to make big decisions about our marriage. We were going to deal with that. But right now in this moment, we're just trying to save your life. So she showed up. She showed up for me. In the days following, I got back to Tallahassee and I had to say goodbye to my three kids. Because I went to rehab a residential center. Um, and this was at the very start of COVID. And I left my wife and my family for a few months to try to get better. 
because I didn't talk a lot about this, but that time caused me to do crazy things. But I got to the point where a person who was not much of a drinker was hiding whiskey in my coffee mug in the morning because I knew it was dark and nobody would question me having a coffee mug. And deciding to drink, 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 drink as much as I could before we went to public events so that I could get through them. Many times those evenings ending with me not even knowing how I made it back to my hotel and to my bed. Being at events, one Tiffany and, and Angela, we were at Tyler Perry's event, a beautiful, beautiful dedication of his buildings in Atlanta and being so drunk the night of the event that Kelly Rowland's at the table. Uh, of course, my friend Virgil RJ's there, Beyonce and Jay-Z are like two over, Viola Davis is here and someone comes around, um, one of the celebrities that was there and is talking to me and saying, brother, you don't know me, but I've been praying for you since. And I am practically rolling my eyes because all I know is I needed to get out of there. I had been drinking so much before we got there to get through the evening, but I had overdrank. So we didn't stay for the great festivities because I told RJ to stay and stay with the car. I leave the car with her, but that I take a, a Uber, I get home and but she left the event that she looked so much forward to a beautiful, wonderful event and evening because she didn't want me to be by myself in this drunken state and that she was going to see me home. And I showed up the next day at CNN with you, Angela, that next morning in Atlanta, and we're all suited up and given our best political whatever. And I don't think I slept the night before. I was just hung over and whatnot. And I think about the times where I had friends cover for me and it was happening increasingly. And there's this one time, y'all, I was flown out to Vegas to participate as in this big speaking event. And I had gotten so sick from my alcohol intake the night before that when I landed, I didn't make it all the way to the restroom in time. And so I had to call my assistant who was at the back of the plane and see if he could bring me something when he got off the hotel plane, I mean the, the airplane, to the bathroom that I could be appropriate to be in public. And then we got to the hotel and I threw up and I was sick and I was supposed to speak the next morning, suffice it to say. After speaking, I was supposed to be on a plane right back to East, keeping my busy schedule. Well, I didn't make that speaking engagement that morning. I didn't make that plane for four days. I convalesced in a Vegas hotel room that smelled like God knows what, because I was that sick from my own abuse. So I had to go and deal with me, but it was hard being away. I have not had a drink and coming March in a few months, March, 2024, we'll make four years of never having touched an alcoholic beverage again. Um, I, who didn't believe in therapy, um, was introduced to my healing sister, Yadi, through Angela. I went to couples therapy, unpacked a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't even knew, know was in the way. For the first time, I was able to admit my grief and devastation from the race and 
all the people I blamed for it and had internalized, but mostly blaming myself. I tried to make some catharsis with all of the bad decision making that got me to where I was. And we began to start to repair a little bit of of the things that I wanted to to try to make whole. And whether I chose it or not, a lot of the distractions removed themselves. A fall from grace tends to take care of those kinds of things for you. And with the patience of my wife, RJ, the beautiful love of my three children, Jackson, Caroline, and Davis, my parents, a praying pastor and friend, therapist, and a very, very small group of people I can count on my 10 fingers. They nursed me each day back to eventually a place where I could get up each day without breaking down from embarrassment or shame or what if. And I remember saying to my one healer that I'm just so worried that I'm not going to be able to put it back together. And she said to me, did you ever consider that when God broke it, he meant for it to stay broken so that would never, ever be put back that way again? I hadn't thought about that. And then we got into the healing of like, I said, I admitted to a whole bunch of things and took responsibility for a whole bunch of stuff. But in rehab, when I had the emergency be pulled over to hear from my lawyers and others about the images that were being distributed. And then through an extortion attempt by this same person to get tens of thousands of dollars out of me and to set threatened to sell these photos to journalists, we were able to get a New York journalist who was going to buy them and we were able to get the catalog of them. And I started to go through them in this therapy period. And I see these images of myself in every single one of them that I see shows me that evening looking lifeless with no movement, except that I had been moved around the room, posed in my lifeless looking condition, was put in the shower, the showers raining down on me. And this person is narrating something funny, but I'm not looking like I'm breathing. I was okay with taking responsibility for all of these things because surely since 2018, 2019, surely I've done some things to deserve whatever happened. And even though I can't remember a thing, I deserved it. That is a violation. I can't even get, I can't even process because it hurt me badly to see those pictures and then there was a video supposedly a sex tape that i never looked at but a woman who worked for me and rosie shout out to you for this she and and katie fang who has a show on on msnbc now who was my lawyer during this period they did get the catalog and they did go through it in this video is not even of me it's of some other black, some black guy. I mean, images that were tempted to be sold and passed off as me that weren't me, an extortion attempt to, to get thousands and then to resell them to these photo uh, journalists. It, 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 my fear of being hostage to this person and whatever machine they had with them, it ends today. It, it, 
you can't touch me. There's nothing you can do to me that I haven't already done to myself and then some. And what I thank God for Yadi for was getting me to a place where she could say what happened wasn't right. It was a violation. It was foul. And you didn't deserve it. And it took me forever to release this idea of what I deserved. And like I said, I can cop to anything that I knowingly do and participate in. And I've been a shitty person a lot of times, but nothing was sitting right on this except what happened and why. And, and, and shame for myself, but mostly shame because I thought I was going to, in my generation, make it easier for my kids who were going to come after me. And it just kept visiting me that I just made everything worse. But it's a process and we push through. And that year was hard to celebrate anything, my birthday, my whatever, my anything. But we got to the point in this whole period of time and, and, and my periods of recovery that last year, RJ wanted to, you know, we had fits and starts of, of what she wanted to celebrate. Most days she wasn't celebrating anything that had to do with me <laughs> and vice versa because there was work to do and we've been doing the hard work. But we go out for Father's Day. And she has bought tickets for me and the kids and her to go to this special brunch. And we take this picture on the lawn of the place where we have brunch for Father's Day. And I started to get this sense that, all right, we're going to be okay. And that's when the next week I, I get a call. Um, and the call comes through and it says, this is Agent you know, such and such. And I, uh, calling on behalf of the FBI or the government, federal government, and I need to get with you because we've got a, uh, uh, um, what is it called? A sealed grand jury indictment of you on however many counts he says. And I'm not remembering all this at the time. And we need to, we need, to, we need to know where you are so you can surrender yourself. Yeah, I know you're normally used to us having a call to action section. We're not going to do that at all today. Our only call to action is that you tune in next time to hear the second part of Andrew's harrowing testimony where he talks about United States of America versus Gillum. Before we end the show, I want to remind everyone to leave us a review and subscribe to Native Land Pod. We're available on all platforms and YouTube. New episodes drop every single Thursday. You can also follow us on social media at Native Land Pod. We are Angela Rye, Tiffany Cross, and Andrew Gillum. Welcome home, y'all. There are 277 days until Election Day. Native Land Pod is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with Reason Choice Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.